0: Hey everybody welcome back to mr. misfits we are here today with our executive producer Back since we haven't had you on since like episode four or five I think
1: it's been earlier this summer
0: yeah it was way before Brandon and <laughs> you are now back and we are here to talk about something that you have taught on for a long long time you know you, you and I discuss you actually and we, we can celebrate this as well maybe we'll put some party music in here at the end you know you are celebrating going into your 50th year of ministry and in doing these 50 years you've been in the local church which we're going to talk about next week specifically why the local church matters. you've done a lot of you know inner-city street ministry through organizations like young life and the YMCA but you have also spent an incredible amount of time teaching and training, which is how you and I met in the first place. And so today we are going to be talking to Dr. Greg Linville, the world's foremost apologist in sports ministry, but also we are gonna talk to one of the, unfortunately one of the only professors realistically at at a doctorate level, of, of sports ministry you know the, we we've got some good friends that are also there now as well but you know there's not that many sports ministry programs left that's why if you are interested you should contact us we'll hook you up with the agone institute and some of our academic partners but greg we are going to talk today about muscular christianity the movement what it is what it's not the good the bad the ugly and ultimately also how Hopefully, people will be able to get a hold of us and figure out how to do this thing properly. So, welcome back to Misfits, which is technically your show, also.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to be here, and with the with our new uh, host Brandon, it's just really great to see what God's doing.
0: Absolutely, I'm glad to be here as well and have you on board. So, so Greg, let let's jump right in because. Anybody that has taken your classes know that you have a lot of information that you can give us on this topic, but we only, we try and limit ourselves to an hour here. So let's jump right in. Muscular Christianity, let's just talk about the history of what it actually is, because this is something that's becoming somewhat of a, a, a new hot button issue, which is kind of strange because, like you said, you've been teaching on this forever and very few people have taken notice outside of your students but now all of a sudden people are starting to take notice and not necessarily for the right reasons so let's let's start out and let's actually define what we're talking about here the muscular christianity era what is it
2: well andrew you, you very politely uh, said we're going to keep it to an hour meaning that you've been with me and now that i can ramble on so <laughs> keep, keep me pointed in the right direction uh, muscular Christianity came into being in the, in the 1800s. I think that it had its roots in about the 1820s, and the late 1820s when a man by the name of Thomas Arnold in England became the headmaster of a school in england and it's reversed when they say public it it means private in america and vice versa and so he was he was the uh not only he he filled three different roles excuse me he was the headmaster he oversaw the whole thing he was a teacher but he was also then became ordained so that he could deliver the the spiritual side of it and so the roots of that He was the first of three Toms. His student was Thomas Hughes, who many people have read a lot of his works, books. And Thomas Hughes, one of his, well, two of his novels was about a third Tom, Tom Brown. And he talked about Tom Brown, describing his life in schools, much like he went to with with, uh, Thomas Arnold, and in some ways, Tom Tom Brown became a living, uh, fictional, but yet in, in his mind a living example, an expression of all of Thomas Arnold's thinking. And those those novels have been read now for well over a century, and PBS has done movies on them, and and it, it's and yet in the midst of all that. That, that muscular Christianity faded in the early 1900s. It it was so much part of the English culture, and then from the English around the world, and I, I, I believe that there are four expressions of this. And I think that some of my compatriots, Stuart Weir and Nick Watson, uh, some of these these folks from York St. John University, Leeds University in England. I think they share this view that it's that there's different expressions. In my opinion, the four basic expressions, I've I've defined them as the classical or the UK version, the evangelical or the international version. And then there's a YMCA USA version, and then there's an Olympic French version continental european version and those four expressions all took muscular christianity in different directions now
0: great we probably we probably need to clarify real quick here when we're talking evangelical international we are not talking evangelical church model we are talking a method of international evangelism not necessarily what we would recognize as evangelicalism here in the u.s correct
2: uh, there's there's some overlap, but your distinction is, is a good one, and and so it goes. It kind of flows in and out of that, but yeah, defining them. The UK, this this was not so much uh, evangelistic, as it was character development, and to be a muscular Christian embodied that that Greco era. Of body, mind, and spirit, and you you developed all of them together. the The YMCA took it, and and primarily in in the USA, and it took that. Some of it was evangelical and evangelistic, but a lot of it was again character development, and the belief was that if you got at that point, the YMCA was only young men. They they got the YWCA started so they could deal with women. Uh, but they they were going to get young men involved in sport so that the young men could develop. They thought they would just develop spiritually without a whole lot of anything else happening other than just being involved in sports. So it became a, a more secular approach to it. Of course, Pierre de Coubertin, the 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 guy that started the whole uh, modern Olympics, he really took this and he really secularized it. And it became almost a religion to himself. He came on to it because he read the Tom Brown novels of Thomas Hughes. And he really said this is what we need for the whole world and we can bring peace to the world. But that Evangelical International model is the one that was particularly embodied by people like the Stud brothers, uh, Kynaston, Charles, the, the, these guys were all world-class cricketers. And, and they, they went, particularly uh, C.T. Charles went and started missions in, in China and also in Africa. And the whole idea of of what they were trying to do was not only were they embodying everything that it meant to be a follower of Jesus, and so you had that that character development, but they, they used it to reach other people for Jesus. And so that evangelical model that grew out of the classical UK and even some of the YMCA versions it spread like wildfire around the world. And so lots of people got involved in it, like D.L. Moody, like later on, and one of the last that identified in this, Eric Little. And so let me stop there. And other questions or thoughts? I
1: was, was going to say, you mentioned um, specifically like in the early 1900s, potentially around the time of the Great Depression, where everything kind of decline, did all four of those separate movements come to a halt together? Or was it in one of the different um,
2: sections? I would say that they're all four still going on today. It just doesn't necessarily use the term muscular Christianity. Right. Okay. Um, And Thomas Hughes, Thomas Arnold never used that language about muscular Christianity. It was actually uh it came about through charles kingsley that kind of said he, he's the one that used that phrase in the early 1900s and it then it caught on maybe late 1800s i'd have to go back and check but it, it caught on and it, it was response to what had happened in the church in that day and age and many people felt like it had it had gone way overboard and become much more appealing to women it was much more feminine and you know we talk about these things today and we have to understand the culture of that day when it said it was much more feminine it wasn't necessarily that they thought it was bad they certainly didn't have a theology that women were bad, or to be a woman was bad, but they but they started to understand that there were certain things about it that was more appealing to women than it was to men. Now, they, they didn't even live in a day in which they could even envision such a thing as uh, choosing your gender. I mean, th- th- this is a completely different era, and so we have to be careful as we talk about these things to help people define what that meant uh, and that in that really, day and age. So yeah. yeah, that,
0: that really is why we're talking about this today is that yes? typically the, the U S YMCA model, you know, which most famously besides the YMCA is also how we got basketball and NCAA football, which, you know, people yes. won't, won't, won't credit the, the Christians for that. But basketball and, and what you watch on Saturday and what you watch in the evenings would not be there if it wasn't for the sports ministry movement. But Absolutely. unfortunately, what we actually see now is we have this kind of cycle like we, um, those of you that listen to the CSRM podcast heard Dr. Linville and Dr. Tucker from Australia talking about the cycle of sports ministry and the cycle of ministry within the church is we are in this cycle again of where we have the evangelical church, and this time we do actually mean the, the you know group evangelical church, has come back and they are looking at what is going on in our culture, like Dr. Linville was just talking about, as far as what gender looks like, what sexuality looks like, all these different things. And they are looking at what they believe is perpetrating all of this stuff, and now they're looking at the church saying well you have gotten too soft you are becoming too feminine and not hard enough and so we need a revival of this muscular christianity but the wording that they are using the phrasing they are using is not what we see thomas arnold and and kingsley and everybody talking about in the 1800s now we are talking about a muscular christianity that means we are men, and so we must be men. And in doing that, now unfortunately, we are starting to see a lot of bad things coming out of it. And now people are trying to throw the baby out with the bathwater and saying, well, all of muscular Christianity is obviously toxic. And so the sports ministry movement needs to go, children's sports needs to go. You know, men's discipleship needs to be completely reevaluated. What what happened, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were you you gave us a good uh, an we You know, we haven't even gotten to the nineteen hundreds, which is where a lot of this stuff really starts taking place. But what what? How did we go from guys like Dwight Moody? And the stud brothers who are doing international missions on a large scale are Eric Little, who, you know, besides being famous as an as an Olympian, is famous as a missionary. He gets a movie after him and everything like that, which if you haven't watched Chariots of Fire and think it's an old movie, you won't like it, go watch it anyway, because it's <laughs> awesome. If we could do the music we would, but we can't because we'll get sued <laughs> out of our out of our butts. But what what happened? Even if we just want to talk church-wise, what happened within the church that has allowed for this kind of cycle to recycle to where now we are having to actually talk about this stuff
2: again? Well, in some ways, we're we're, we're very similar in the 1920s or in the 2020s to what was happening in the 1920s and the 1880s. Um, and if you go into a couple of the books that have been written about muscular Christianity, and I've written on it too, but not a whole book. It's in some of the books that I've written. They say that muscular Christianity's heyday was from about 1880 to about 1920, uh, maybe 1910. I, I think it started in the 1820s. It grew and developed. It got named in the late 1800s, and then it went until... Uh, really eric little was probably one of the last ones that was actually identified as a muscular christian and that and of course he won the olympics in 1924 and passed away in 1945 i believe just as the war was ending Mm -hmm. so what was happening then what was happening now is very similar the muscular christianity that grew up in the uk was saying Men are finding a hard time relating to church, and I think even in the United States in the 1990s, the Promise Keepers movement came about because there was a similar thing that was happening in the American church and then also a lot to the the Western church. The Eastern church and the Southern church is sometimes a little different, but at least the Western church. And uh, when I when I do seminars on this that, that happens with both genders male and female I ask them on a continuum you know from one end to the other if if this was the the term was conversation would you where would you put men do they talk a lot do they converse a lot? Would would they would you be over here if they do, or would they be over here if they didn't? And most of the women and most of the guys there, you know, well, they kind of move the men just a little bit maybe towards center, but they're more active. So the other continuum, are they active? No, they're way over on the active. They're under on the conversation part of it. Women and the women are the ones that say this to me. They say, <laughs> you, I you love them the fact you put the disclaimer it. out there that they, they <laughs> you, you told you this. Yeah, I mean, your your spectrum is only here. The women are way over here. And they talk about, you know, if, if a church was to say, come Saturday, because we're going to have the greatest time ever, because what we're going to do is we're going to get together and talk, who would show up? And everybody in these groups, when I poll them, they say men don't show up at all, and if if anybody shows up, it's some women. They're not even saying that women will show up if you say we're just getting together to talk. But they're saying they're the only ones. Now that's women saying this, not me. But they say now come Saturday because we're going to have this great thing. We're going to get on a fishing boat. We're going to get out there. We're going to and and who would show up? And they'd say probably both would show up, but probably more men would have show up for that. And then they say but what do the men do on the boat all day (laughs) all they do is talk (laughs) (laughs) And, and and so it's not that men don't talk and it's not that women talk all the time it's just generally speaking men need an activity to bring out the conversation and women often need the conversation to start the activity now I know that that's not something that's popular these days, but what's happening in in today's church, think about it, everything is verbal in the traditional church. Preaching, teaching, fellowshipping, singing, praying, reading, everything is verbal. For men who that is not their go-to, they'll tolerate it or maybe even engage in it some people some men like myself are much more verbal it's not that men can't be verbal but it's there's no activity and so muscular christianity in the 1880s to 1920s and now 18 uh, 1980s to 2020s very similar and so the churches today that have engaged activity engaged in and outreaches and and various things that include activity are much much more attractive to men and are meeting men's needs that is different than saying i am this physical male and i rule and i conquer and i dominate and you've got to listen to me and and that whole thing about men and women's relationships that can get really ugly. That's not what muscular Christianity was ever designed to be. It was just designed to help men become more like Jesus in a manly way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's kind of what we've talked about before, too, of being an effective ministry. Um, It's very, like you said, designated to go and try to tap into kind of the ins and outs of who God created a lot of men to be at their core, which is mm-hmm. great. Uh, so that that kind of takes apart from what I've seen a little bit as far as, all right, with muscular Christianity, they're targeting men, so you're, you're removing 50% of the population there with women. The other thing I've seen a little bit is with race, too, where, all right, you were focusing on white males specifically. What would you say about that, Greg, but also um, playing into what we talked about, too, as far as that era and as far as what was going on within
2: the communities of why that was maybe sectioned off. Well we we'll talk about this in a couple of different ways. One of the ways is that we have to recognize culture and is the culture verbal, oral tradition or written tradition. And many of the oral cultures that tend to be more southern hemisphere uh non-white necessarily, um, it, it they tend to have more of a culture that is oral and passing down things orally. And what that means is as long as that oral tradition is being spoken, the ancient history is still alive. If it's not written down and the oral history passes on, then you don't have the same kind of ability to go back and look at things. And unfortunately, that's part of the downside of oral traditions. This is one of the reasons why CSRM and OBP has been so uh, much trying to get people of different cultures, different language groups to actually write these things so that there is an ongoing both hard copy and digital version that's why we're doing the videos, that's why we're doing the audios, we're doing all of this, so that there is a record of it. So some of it we don't know, because it wasn't written down. But what we do know is that when you, when you look at the urban black church in America, they have almost always had some sort of sport particularly in america basketball in the last hundred and some years that they've had these guys that get together to do this and it's part of part of their tradition and so what we can get anecdotally at the very least if and there is some written record of it but we get it from that expression that we see and has carried on. And there's another another interesting part of this, too, that people are really not aware of, and that is what is called muscular Judaism. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. during the whole era of muscular Christianity, the Hebrew culture, the Jewish faith, really embraced very similar things. And Early on, Andrew, you mentioned the Chariots of Fire movie, which was Academy Award winner for lots of reasons. Phenomenal movie. They had three men that it focused on. One of them was Eric Little, a more Christian. The second man was Harold Abrams, who the movie doesn't say this, but he was known as a muscular Jew. Now, he later converted to Christianity, but the whole movie shows that he's running to prove that his faith is as good as any other, Mm -hmm. and he can be this man as a Jew and still be this great man. The third man was Lord um, Burley. In real life, his name was Burley. In the movie, it was Lord Lindsay. And he was the only one of the three that was alive when the movie was actually done. The other two had, had passed away. And he wanted nothing to do with the movie. But the man, the, the, the movie's phenomenal from this perspective. It was written by an atheist. It was written about a muscular Christian, a muscular Jew, and a man who was, was wanted nothing to do with any of them. He was an agnostic. And it was funded by a Muslim. <laughs> the whole movie was funded by a Muslim. Dodi Fayyad that died in the car with Princess Di. He and the dock workers that he worked with, they fund this movie. And, and so the muscular Jews also had this expression. And so, or, or, yeah, expression of of trying to become who they were. And again, it really didn't have to do with the fact that men are better than women, but more that men need to find their way to faith and a faith journey, whether it was a Christian or a Jew, or nothing at all. And so they had to change Burley to Lindsay because Burley didn't want anything to do with it.
0: But, the same reason uh, we can't actually gone. play the music is, you know, <laughs> copyrights and legal and everything else. But great. One, one thing you, you pointed out here, which this is also a teaser for why people should come and do the Agone Institute with us in general. Yeah. Is, you know, both both with the muscular Christians and the muscular Jews you know with harold abrams is a perfect example he's running to show people that the jews are capable of doing everything that everybody else is as well you know it was all about showing his faith and you know i had this discussion with um with some people online a few few days ago about why god is not racist by selecting one ethnicity over everybody else in the old testament because you know. The Judaism is not just about ethnic heritage. It's about much more about the covenant and the faith heritage, much more than it is about being a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And for Abrams, it was about showing people that just because he was Jewish and not Christian did not mean that he did not have a place in society in an athletic arena. And this goes back largely to what even you know you you mentioned it earlier as far as the Greco-Roman model of sport and everything else of athletics has always been the place to go and honor your god in competition. Yes. But now we we and we still see that within modern sport, it's just that typically the god that we see being honored is money and pride and fame rather than insert religion, God, here. Well, Do you think
2: that right, may... Go ahead. No, I, I, I correct one thing you said. It was Greco, but not Greco-Roman. Because the Roman, and that brings up another idea of what we're talking about today, that the Greco ideal of sport was very influential in the writing of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That ethic was you become a holistic person, you actually become kind of a disciple. And then the Romans came in and perverted it all, and it was no longer about the high ideals of becoming this this virtuous, great person, but it was more more what you had said about the money and the fame, and I'm going to crush you, I don't care what that does to you, and and I've got to conquer. And so, it, the, the, there's one that one part of it with the Greco that is what the the New Testament. Uh, a lot of the Roman um, sinking down into that pit that that became so horrible. A lot of that came a little bit at the end, but after Paul and Peter and those guys were writing, they were still very much influenced by this body-mind-spirit of the of the, the Greco, what we call the Hellenistic culture. And so that's where this whole thing started. I, I don't know if you want to talk at all about, and this, I think, because as it leads to this, about what my thoughts are that in terms of muscular Christianity, there are secular expressions of it, and there are religious expressions of it. And that
0: and, that's where we're going, and that's as I was to say. You know, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break before we get into it, because really we're about to get into the heart of what the dilemma is right now, and a lot of it is what you just talked about as again of the we have, we're we're starting to slow we we started to slowly lose our grasp on the the Hellenistic style of competition and and muscular Christianity. We're starting to slide back into Roman a little bit and what that actually means in terms of today here in the U.S. So we're going to take a quick break. Then when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the consequences of all of this stuff. And then we're also going to talk about how your church can actually use this stuff that everybody is so afraid of right now to better impact the people that you're actually trying to reach with it. This episode of the Ministry Misfits podcast and this awesome shirt are brought to you by Courageous Clothing Company. Courageous Clothing Company is a Christian family-owned business that specializes in custom designs that they create as well as bulk screen printing of your custom designs as well. When you buy from Courageous Clothing Company, you're not just buying an awesome shirt, you also are helping spread the gospel across the world through the missions that they support, such as this here with Ministry of Misfits, as well as with their own designs that have Christian themed messages, sharing the gospel in an awesome and relevant way. Or, as we say within CSRM and Ministry of Misfits, strategically relevant evangelism. Check out their entire line at CourageousClothingCompany.com Hi, this is the Minister Misfit, Andrew Fouts. I'm also the Director of Digital Resources for CSRM and the producer of Overwhelming Victory Productions. And today we want to talk a little bit about Anchor FM. Part of our job here at Overwhelming Victory Radio is to provide ministries with easy and affordable ways to create their own media content. And one of these ways is Anchor FM. Anchor is a free one-stop studio with tools to allow you to create a custom podcast experience. They do everything from creation tools, distribution tools, and even marketing tools with ads such as this. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, welcome back we are still here with Dr. Greg Linville and when we when we broke he had just given us a, a brief history of what muscular Christianity looks like starting in the UK in the early 1800s ending up here in the US in the late 1800s and then kind of falling off towards uh, the end of World War II beginning of or end of World War I, beginning of World War II era type of thing. And now we are getting into a little bit more of why all of this stuff actually matters to the church. Because we talked about the fact that the Greco model of athletics was all about religion and, and honoring the gods and how you know Roman the Roman influence was what kind of pushed it more secular. And now Dr. Linville is about to walk us through this happening again in the 1900s a little bit more as far as the secularized version within the muscular christian era and movement so dr linville we cut you off to go to commercial but start walking us back through this what is where do we start seeing the secular slide
2: yeah uh, it happens really early and that's that's quickly recap this muscular christian era and it, i said it starts the roots of it in about 1820 1840 with thomas arnold He was the headmaster at Rugby School. And Rugby School was not a school where you learned to go play rugby. It was a very prestigious, still is. You can still go there, see all these things at the school. Very prestigious, what we would call a private school in America. And it's where rugby came into being. And therefore, the sport took on the name of the school, not vice versa. The movement flourished from 1860 to 1900 with the Studs, with Moody, with uh, folks like John Armat, Stagg, you know, the Dean of American Football, Naismith, who invented basketball. These were all men who were trying to figure out what it meant to be a man of, of, of faith. Not that women weren't important, but for men, I'm a man, what can I do? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of uh, help springboard from where that was, In the 1860s and 1900s to say where we are today there's four versions that men really represented back in that day and if you start with christianity and then build off of that the sportianity was decoubertin and this is the knight as an athlete that's that's become a man by being becoming a knight but i'm going to become an athlete mountianity john muir a naturalist go out into the the various uh, woods and mountains and find Jesus there corporianity you know the corporate world carnegie the knight as industrialist and then revivalality sunday billy sunday who left the the professional baseball and became the knight as priest and i think that then we come up And out of that, in the 1920s to 40s, then we come up to Eric Little and Harold Abrams that became these muscular Christian and muscular Jew. All right, so with that little bit of a review, we come and we start to see these four expressions of the muscular Christianity. I'm going to stop for a quick second and say that I have, I have been lecturing on this for three or four decades. And in the, eight, in the 1980s, when I did this, and I would ask a room of 50 people, how many of you have heard of Muscular Christianity? 25 to 50% of the room would raise their hand.
0: It still would be if Five you asked million. this room, because it was only 50% Five. in this room that knew.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Five years ago, I spoke to about 100 people at a Chautauqua, and I asked the same, and these, you have to understand, Chautauquas are some of the most educated, informed, they're the leaders of the country, of the world. Not one person five years ago raised their hand. This last summer, I was back at the same Chautauqua, and we were back up to about 15% that had heard it. It's recycling. So the four the four expressions I have said are classical UK. This is this is Thomas Arnold, Thomas Hughes, Thomas Brown. You just become a holistic person, and faith is just part of it. Then that USA model with Sherwood Eddy and what what he began to help change in the YMCA, moving it from faith to just to just uh, character and nothing to do with faith. Of course, to Goberton and the, and the Olympics, nothing. Uh, it, it becomes its own faith. But then with people like Little, it becomes how we can share our faith, not only how we can fulfill our faith, but we can share our faith. And this corresponds to what most people do when they try to integrate their faith and sport. And it's, it's what I call that when they, when they go into this, they, they go into it, they have a faith, they have a sport, and then as they try to integrate it, they're trying to figure out how do they do this. The first is what I would call sport over faith, sport over faith. This is a secular expression of muscular Christianity, that they started with faith, but they capitulate their faith and they go completely, whatever the sport says, take performance-enhancing drugs, do it. Cheat, do it. Whatever you gotta do. And then the, that, that would be what what I would call a, a, an accommodation. I think I said capitulation, but that's an accommodation. But the capitulation is the, the Olympic model. It's all sport, there's no faith at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, none at all. And then there's the, the what I would call the rejection. Um, and this is what a lot of people did. This would have been what uh, C.T. Stud did, uh, even Moody did to some degree. And they said, you know, there's things about sport that just are ugly and I, I can't reconcile. And so they left sport. And groups like Pop Warner football, and even uh, the the uh, hot stove baseball, and mm-hmm. some of these kinds of things that started with sport completely threw sport out. I'm saying they, they they threw faith out completely, and and there were others then that threw sport out completely and just left sport altogether. Billy Sunday became one of the greatest evangelists. I don't think people realize that he he held the stolen base record for Mm -hmm. decades. He, He was unbelievable in his sport, but he left it. And then there's that last one that is a redemption of sport, that people are trying to redeem the sport culture, but that's very, very difficult to do because particularly as you go up, and we call about the progressive intensity levels of competition, from no competition all the way up to professionalism, every level of those seven steps that you go up through, it becomes more and more difficult to hold on to your faith. And so for Little, who won a gold medal, where he said, I'm gonna participate in sport as much as I can, except if it's on the lord's day and people don't realize that he probably gave up four or five medals in 1924 not just the one that the movie says he gave up because he gave up the one by uh, four by 100 to four by 400 he gave up all of these and he only raced in two he won a bronze medal beating harold abrams in that in in the two hundred. And, and then won the 400. And so he is one that tried to have a synthesis. He tried to, to in, involve both, integrate both, but he, he even had his, here's my line that I have to choose faith over sport and I have to reject sport. But most people are trying to keep them together and integrate them. But I'm going to give you a couple things here, and that is when these two things come head to head, and you have to choose whether I'm going to go to my Bible study or or to a practice, I have to choose I'm going to go to a worship service or compete, I have to choose to go with this team, or my family, that's the places where it really, really gets tough. And so what this modern-day muscular Christianity, I think part of what is trying to occur, people, what people are trying to experience today are, how can I get back to that Eric Little that the faith Mm -hmm. I never capitulated, I never accommodated, but I don't want to reject my my sport either. And I don't want to reject what it means to be a man and have a manly faith in Jesus. And that's what we're struggling with in the midst of all of our culture. And that's what really, you
0: know, we've got, we're going to have the, the uh, four expressions chart up here at this point while we're talking here. And really what we're seeing is, you know, we're going to end this podcast telling you how you can where you can go to get help as far as doing the redeeming and the synthesis. That we're we're going to get there. But these other three sections, the faith over sport, the sport no faith, and the sport over faith are the three that we we are seeing the most arguments about right now. And largely because of what you just said, the, the one that we're going to get to is the hardest one. And so everybody kind of forgets about it in a way when they, start, when they start going through these kind of different trials. But in addition to the faith over sport, all this other stuff, we also see you can replace sport with a couple other words as well. It's yeah. not just faith over sport. It's also faith over culture it's faith over tv it's faith Mm -hmm. over music all this other stuff you can also have you know replace all of that unfortunately what we're seeing a lot right now even in the sport over faith where faith is not necessarily counted out but it is now in second place under insert here you know the most common right now within evangelical circles is country over faith you know you go which is a very roman romanesque model of we are doing this for the glory of the empire and for the gods of the empire rather than we are doing this for god and country which is the model that you know eric little models within the olympic sport if i'm doing this for my god i'm doing this for my country but i'm doing this mostly for my god because when i run i feel his presence which is the famous quote from the movie You know, those are the different things we're seeing. And so because of that, we're getting a lot of weird reactions within the church. And most of them are actually replacing the sport part of these different models with a different word. And so this is how we get into things like what those of you that listen to Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, you should go listen to it. It's a very good, good documentary podcast that Mike Cosper, out Christianity Today did. But the, the Rising Falls of Mars Hill highlights what was going on specifically at um, Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll's church. There what we saw was a muscular Christianity where it was no longer we're going to put sport over faith or we're going to redeem sport or we're going to redeem the culture. It was we need to put faith over everything else. And to do that, we have to actually put manliness over our faith because if we are real men then our faith comes naturally and what that produces is places for abuse it puts in places for toxic masculinity we also see this unfortunately right now going on this is the argument within a a number of different denominations where sex abuse scandals are starting to come out why are we not talking about it because in order to put faith over those sort of things, we have to protect our pastors. But in doing that, we are actually putting our pastors over our faith.
2: Hmm. And this- let me get let me get to, to the root of this, in my opinion. You 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 said what well, what happened? Why did muscular Christianity fade out? Tony Ladd Jim Matheson wrote a book on muscular Christianity and they they gave us a rubric that is called the uh, uh engagement disengagement re-engagement all right you got it there there it is and and that that is brilliant what does that mean it means that all of a sudden in the 1800s people started to have this idea i can integrate my faith in my sport. I can integrate my faith into my masculinity. And so they had an engagement. But then what happened? There was a disengagement in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And, and it, the, it, it, had, it happened because of the inability of the athletes and those involved to reconcile the cheating, the drugs, the deaths, the gambling all the alcoholism that went along with sport they couldn't they couldn't integrate it they couldn't reconcile it and so they disengaged from sport now again this is Ladd matheson and and so they then said there was a re-engagement and and we saw this then it wasn't called muscular christianity christianity anymore anymore it was called sports outreach or the sports ministry era And that began in the 1950s or so. Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Athletes in Action, uh, Pro Athletes Organization, uh, outreach rather. uh, Anything that had an A in its name came in. Hockey (laughs) Ministry International, all these groups. What what were
0: we again before you guys finally cut it down? Wasn't it the N-A-A-C-S-R-M-A-C-A-C or something
2: like that? It it, it was was unwieldy and and, and riding everybody a NASCAR. But but what happened then was this re-engagement, and both of the engagement, original engagement, and the re-engagement were both based upon pragmatics. The initial engagement was the pragmatic of, I can actually become this manly Christian. I can integrate my faith in sport. The re-engagement happened because the evangelical world, that fourth one of the expressions of muscular Christianity, said, pragmatically, we can use sport as a tool to reach people for Jesus. Why was there a disengagement? because they couldn't reconcile a lot of these theological and ethical issues. Why are we now having a a current disengagement with sport and manliness? It's because we again are falling into the trap of not having a proper theology. Right. Both engagement periods we're based on pragmatics, what works. Both of these disengagement periods are based on the fact of having faulty, very weak theology. This is why we're doing what we're doing with OVP, with with OVR, with, with, with CSRM. We're trying to build the foundations of theology so that today women don't have to fear Muscular Christianity, masculine Christians, they don't have to fear them because the men that are getting the solid theology about what it means to be a man means I can love my wife. I can serve my wife. I can care for my wife. I can care for my daughters. I can care for all women. I need to be for them what Christ was for the church laying my life down, not asking them to lay their life down, but me laying my life down for them. And that and that right there... The wrong, when we get the theology wrong, it becomes toxic.
0: And that right? just talked about there was actually one of the things that I've found so strange over the past two or three years is that we actually now are starting to see a theology. Well, they're claiming it's a theology. Really, we know it's a heresy. A theology going around and being taught within churches that sacrifice is not something that is biblical or godly. And that the idea of Jesus having surrendered himself to death makes Jesus weak. And we can't have a weak God because then that makes us weak as well but that's not what we see in scripture it's very clear how this all goes down death has no authority over christ christ has to give it permission to do to do its thing and he gives permission willingly but when we take out real theology Biblical based theology, you know, we we run through the three tiers on here all the time. You know, before Brandon was allowed to come on, I had to test him on it. <laughs> you know, we we run through this stuff all the time because once that theology breaks and it's no longer Christocentric, because we've replaced it with either one of these three other categories. Once Christ is no longer the center, it no longer can be biblically based, and if it's no longer biblically based, we start getting all of these other out outlets this is why when you you know you hear people blame church attendance dropping because of the fact that youth sports are happening on Sunday your church attendance probably was dropping before <laughs> youth leagues started going th- doing things on Sunday you just didn't notice because you're you were focused in on some other aspect and
1: that's why I appreciate it too why Greg was talking about really the foundation especially of the church I think for a lot of I going to say kids growing up, their foundation is rooted a lot of times in sports where it is five, sometimes seven days a mm-hmm. week. And you're spending an hour of practice and two hours at the games, And so they get rooted in this sport and competition where then sometimes faith comes on later on. So they start with this foundation of sport over faith and what was rooted and taught into them growing up. So it can be sometimes hard to retrain or relearn some of those habits that start off at four or five years old that they learn competition and how to you got to do everything to be sport and that's just all your time is consumed in and so then it's hard to kind of rework that a little bit not impossible but
0: and it's not which is part of what Greg is about to walk us through is that this fourth model the this box that's up in the top left right top left mm-hmm. yeah top left I'm not directions and you know this sort of thing is just about as good as math for me here up here no it's backwards up here whatever it is yeah you get the point it's on the screen the this redemption synthesis model of sport of we are going to integrate and not separate out we're going to integrate they're going to blend together where we are going to stay christocentric we are going to stay biblically based, but we're going to do so in an athletic or a recreation or a fitness style manner is 100% possible as long as we actually keep our theology straight. Absolutely. And so this is where Dr. Linville, you and guys like you, guys that, you know, Todd James, Roger Oswald, especially, who we got to get Roger on here at some point, Roger Oswald, especially, you know, guys like Brian Mason, Stuart Weir, you guys have all been talking about this stuff for a while. And the thing that most people don't realize when they come to CSRM or come to you know, organizations like us, like our, our foundational partners, is that before we even start talking what sports they're going to do, we start talking theology with them. So what actually is the proper response here how do we get to that redemption level of sport of we are going to redeem it what what should the church's response to muscular Christianity actually look like?
2: well you you indicated already the three-tier paradigm it's got to start with theological truths what do we believe what do we think how do we envision and Brandon to your point about you know the church's are this the, these kids are out there and they're, and they're on a playing field and they're not in the church anymore, and they want to blame the sport. I want to blame the church. I want to put the ch- back on the church and say mm-hmm. because you as a as a congregation have not given these kids and their families a quality sports experience and opportunity, they're going outside of the church, and. We've had a very uh, major uh, para-ministry that has been producing uh, sports leagues for churches for a long time now. And when they went to that model of saying, we're going to join them, so to speak, we're gonna start actually doing tournaments on the Lord's day. This is part of our problem, not the solution. I maintain that if congregations do sport excellently for kids Monday through Saturday. Those folks will be there on Sunday morning to worship in a traditional sense. We know we can worship through our sport. And the church just needs to go out and do sport well. And that, that, what do I mean by that? I, I describe it like this. Now, you got to understand, I love summer vacation Bible school. I think it's one of the greatest things the church has ever done. But most congregations approach to this is they do sports ministry, they do vacation Bible school with a ball, as opposed to doing a soccer league, football league, basketball league with a Bible. There's a difference in mentality. And those young people that have been gifted by God and called by God to be great athletes, we need to see, the church needs to see that we need to enable them, empower them as much as we do anybody that has a gift of music or drama or preaching or teaching. Everyone has different gifts. Everybody was designed differently, and the church needs to help those kids come along. And if we do that, they'll be there Sunday morning. They'll be in they'll be in youth group on Wednesday night or Sunday night or whatever. But we need to do it. And this
0: is where, you know, we really when as we wrap up here, you know, we're not just saying, "Oh, well, if you redeem it then it's good." No, you, we we've got to redeem it well, which is why yes. we, we focus in on the theology stuff so much, but what what comes out of it? When we actually do this well, when we actually fall, go get into biblically-based principles out of Christocentric theological truths and then practice the methods that follow, when we do this stuff, we start to— Andrew,
2: to your point, to your point uh, you were a, a collegiate baseball player, and a great coach there, Bob Starcher, mm-hmm. had a saying, Shoddy is shoddy. It doesn't matter if it's christian or not it's still shoddy do it and do it well right and when you do
0: it well you see the results starter is a perfect example of that with his his wins you know crank finally passed him up while i was there and that took a long time but you know what we see you know the the arguments against muscular christianity toxic masculinity christian nationalism Um, abuse all these different things what we actually see when we do sports ministry well within our churches when we do it relevant like we talked about at the beginning when we do it with the with an evangelistic discipleship mindset of this idea of the Bible we're, we're doing these camps but we are doing it from scripture not just doing it to do it it promotes discipleship it promotes redeeming of competition, which is what we're all talking about, and so now you don't have to feel bad about the fact you're excited that you won or you're bummed that you lost. It allows us to promote this non-toxic masculinity, this biblical manhood that we talked about with Chalmer Williams a while back. We, it promotes equality for females because they are able to compete, they are able to do these things well themselves it allows us to promote an actual family let, unit. Let me,
2: uh, wrap Go, ahead. Up. Go ahead. Yeah. Let me wrap up with with one with one last uh, biblical understanding when it comes to this because I am concerned. I'm deeply concerned today about how this revival of muscular Christianity is going to be taken and misused. And toxic masculinity is going to come out of it. Uh, nationalism is going to come out of it, unless we get back to something, and that is the Bible. And there's the verse in the Bible that is used in a negative, and and it's it's misinterpreted, and it says that wives are to submit to their husbands. I'm going to give you two things there. First of all, if you jump up a verse or two above that, it says that they're supposed to submit to each other mm-hmm. okay and so that verse is taken out of context and only applied to women when it's for both the second thing i'll tell you is that in the ancient language the the original language of greek that word for submit the best way i can describe it is that when you go to the doctor and he, you're sitting there on the side of the bed, and he takes a little hammer and hits your knee, and your foot just kicks out. You can't help it. In fact, if it doesn't, there's a real problem. It's indicating you've got a real neurological problem. And that's the sense of, of the voice and tense of that word, that when the man does what he's supposed to do, lay his life down for his wife. The woman can't help but submit. It's the little hammer. And so it really comes back on the man, that when a man's doing what he's supposed to be doing, the woman just naturally is following, and, and not even following, but just reacting. And, and, and so this is where we are today, that if people do not get to the bedrock of the biblical theologies about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, we're going to end up with toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. and this nationalism that takes us in really negative ways. We've got to get back to being Jesus and being like Jesus, and then the other things naturally come along.
0: I'm done. And this is how, you know, we can thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, we, yeah. You, we can close out on this as well, because, you know, we talked last week when we talked essential, these the essentials of a church, as far as what essential doctrine actually is and how we get it. You know, part of what we talked about is that the reason we pushed it towards the front was because of some of the conversations that have been hap- happening on my Twitter feed <laughs> over since 2022 started the the first one of these conversations where i was just like what in the world is going on anymore was because of the fact that we had a well-known i'm not going to say you can go look on twitter if you want because he proudly posts it there's a widely known evangelical pastor that made the comment about if we would just if wives would just submit and, you know, we need to be focusing on submission within our marriages instead of submission to vaccines and government and all these other things. And so I just kind of twisted the words around a little bit and said, you know, maybe if we didn't focus so much on forcing our, our, our spouses to submit to us, then we wouldn't be going and reinterpreting verses on how we are supposed to submit everywhere in our lives. Hmm. And the response that, we re, that I received was much more what we were just talking about, this toxic masculine of, well, Christians don't submit. Christians are not supposed to give up. Christians are not supposed to do this, this, this. On the flip side, the other, one of the other conversations I had is there's a woman who is dealing with spiritual abuse, which you know we're going to talk about in our documentary and things like that coming out of a church where there's a a former or a member of her former church that has been harassing her on Twitter and so me and a couple other pastors have been trying to back her up a little bit and give her some encouragement but one of the things last night I finally went and looked because this guy's convinced that harassment is the proper response when somebody goes apostate in his mind I looked up what his pastor another well-known famous pastor wrote a bunch of books I finally went and looked up what the pastor has been preaching as far as how the church is supposed to respond to criticism and slander and persecution. And what the pastor has been teaching is that you're supposed to fight back, stand up, you know, hold on to your faith as a weapon and not as the tool that we use to keep ourselves fighting through it. And so I finally responded, I think I understand now where you're coming from. You're not, you are not the one that is fighting here. You have been poorly trained with poor theology and poor eschatology. And so this is the only response you know how. This is why we talk so much about theology mattering. Whether that's in your sports leagues or it's in the pulpit. Both of those places need to have strong theology if it's coming out with your church's name on it. Because your members are going to respond to what is being taught. And so, Dr. Limbaugh, we're going to talk about that next week, actually, when we talk about ecclesiology. We talk about the local church. We're glad you came on. If you want to, su- you. If you want to support us, you know the drill. Buy me a coffee or go to csrm.org backslash donate. You can donate there. In addition to finding my name on the list, you also can find Dr. Linville. You can also support him financially through through the same method. All of that money is uh, tax write-off. It also goes to support the entire mission and vision we've got. We are out of time for this one, but Dr. Linville will be back with us next week, and we're gonna talk about one of his favorite things beyond just sports ministry is what the local church is all about. So we will be back next week.
1: Ministry Misfits Podcast is a production of Overwhelming Victory Flicks, Overwhelming Victory Radio, and Ministry Misfits Media. Dr. Greg Linville and Andrew Fouts are our executive producers and Brandon Simmons is associate producer. Our music is provided by Morning Light Music and is titled Rain. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at Ministry at gmail.com or by following at Ministry Misfit on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can support Ministry Misfits. At Anchor.fm forward slash Ministry Misfits, or for fo1c3 credit by going to csrm.org forward slash donate and selecting Andrew Fouts in the campaign menu. To learn more about Overwhelming Victory or to listen to our sister podcast, visit overwhelmingvictory.org.